Welcome back. This is Mark Steiner. Good to have you with us here on the Mark Steiner Show and your source for cool jazz and more. WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. Just a couple of weeks ago, uh, Kalima Young was in the studio and we had this conversation about rape culture. And after the program, we started talking about how pervasive this idea is and I and talked about the idea of doing an ongoing conversation about what that means in our, in our worlds and why it is and what that really means. And as I was reading it, I also began reading a lot of articles um, over the last couple of weeks. Where this is also an onslaught against even the whole notion of rape culture in on campuses in our society. Um, and and so it it really is a debate, and, and my own children are involved in that debate, uh, leading their own struggles on their own campuses uh, around this issue. And so I realized how deep and important I, I've always known how deep and important the notion of. Misogyny and rape culture were not the, the idea of rape culture is relatively new, um, at least for me. Um, but I think it's, we really had to explore it, especially as a man talking to other men. We had to explore this in some deep ways. So Kalina Young is back with us, instructor at Towson University and University of Brown College Park, where she's getting her PhD in American Studies. Hi. Good to have you here. And Thanks. Dr. Desiree Melton is with us. Desiree, of course, is associate professor of philosophy and Associate Director of the APA Site Visit Program at the School of Arts and Sciences at Notre Dame of Maryland University. Good to have you back, Desiree. Good to be here. And you all can join us here at 410-319-8888. You can write to us at talkatsteinershow.org by email. You can tweet us at Mark Stein or log onto our Facebook pages. But do jump into it as you hear the conversation unfold. So let's talk a bit about how this whole thing came to be and why we're doing this. Yeah, well, um, after our conversation about the Stanford race, rape case and about Brock, um, it just became very apparent that in our conversations around sexual violence and our conversations about gender-based violence, we don't quite understand the scope and how pervasive it truly is and how that there is this understanding of there is this culture that allows sexual violence and gender-based violence to exist and that our inability to see people as victims, our inability to read certain things that happen in our world is our inability to acknowledge rape culture. I think about uh, last year when we were talking about the McKinney uh, pool party and how I, and I think Michelle Love, the poet, and some other Is people that with were the young online. black girl was grandma, the police officer, yeah, he sat on top of her? and he sat on top yeah, of yeah. her. Right, right, and right. we were in this studio talking about the fact that we, as black women, saw that as sexual violence. But no one else had that conversation or understanding of sexual violence. Right, right. Um, so that's why we feel like it's extremely important to actually talk about it. Because um, is it okay if I give a bit of a description or definition of no, rape culture? Fine. Okay. So Susan Brown Miller and I. 1975, she argued that our nation's cultural output promotes a climate in which acts of sex hostil- sexual hostility directed against women are not tolerated but ideologically encouraged. And when we're thinking about rape culture, what we're talking is about, we're talking about how we minimize, normalize, and trivialize sexual violence in our everyday lives. So rape culture isn't about rape hysteria, uh, rape hysteria. It's not about making a big deal about rape. It's about understanding how we take sexual violence and how we minimize it, we trivialize it, and we normalize it in our everyday practices, in our everyday ways that we interact with one another, in the everyday, everyday ways that we talk about sexual violence and sexual consent. And that's what I really think is extremely important for us to begin to recognize and to address because every two minutes, someone in America is sexually violated, sexually assaulted. 
And one out of every six American women has been a victim of an attempted or completed sexual assault. And that number, may I just interrupt? Yes, please do. That number, I think, is absurdly low. Mm-hmm. If I can only speak anecdotally, yes, please do from the women in my worlds, from the women in my family, that that I can't think of a woman that I'm close to almost where she has not had an attempted rape, a sexual assault, mm-hmm. unwanted touching, uh, or a rape. Right. Um, and I'm talking from my sister on to everybody that I know. Right. And so I mean to say one out of six. I, I wish someone could actually figure out how to do a study, Desiree, that gets to mm-hmm. the reality mm-hmm. that we, you know, one out of six. I, Be- just, it's not real. Right. <laughs> right. right. But I think you're you're alluding to a part of the issue, right? It's because we think about when we're talking about rape culture and maybe maybe it's just the problem with the terminology, but it's it's the culture that allows, that normalizes sexual assault and violence against women. But you also have to talk about the fact that we we often think that rape is stranger rape. Mm-hmm. Never, never anyone in the family, you know, it can't be your boyfriend, it can't be an uncle, it can't be, you know, the, the neighbor, none of that. It's always a stranger attacking some woman in a dark alley, but that's not what rape is. Right. And so if you're going to, I think there's one in six, I mm-hmm. think it's also low, but I think it's because it's underreported because people tend to think, women, women and men tend to think that rape is stranger rape. Right. And they, you know, there's that that gray area, the rape gray area, right, that people are talking about, that it can happen, you know, if there's excessive drinking or, Mm -hmm. you know, it used to be called date rape. I don't, we don't, I don't really see that term used that much anymore. It It was a lot more like in the 80s and 90s. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's how we characterize rape. We still think of it as a stranger rape. And that's not the only kind of rape there is, obviously. Right. So maybe that, that's, a, that's a reason why that one in six number is so low. It's because it's being underreported. Right. Because it's, it's not being recognized as rape. Right. And that is one of the key issues. If it's not being recognized as sexual violence, if a young person who experiences unwanted touching by another young person or adult does not, is not able to be given the tools to recognize that as sexual violence, um, if partners who are together and one person chooses to have sex with the other person without that other person's consent is not recognized as sexual violence. All of these different ways that we minimize or obscure what it means to be in this society and to experience unwanted sexual touching and assault speaks to rape culture. And that's why we need to illuminate it on the show. So I'm going to come back to this definition and why it's so hard and why the f- battle is so deep around this notion of rape culture, which is different, which is a huge, uh, both pragmatic and philosophical approach to who we are as human beings. That's why uh, I want to understand exactly what we're talking about here and what you two mean by that and what people mean by that. 410-319-8888. Let me just say to our listeners, as we have these ongoing conversations, you can feel free to call and feel free not to give your name. Um, if you have something to say, and would rather not be identified, I'll be saying that during all these programs that we do. Just feel free to join the conversation at any level that you like, or just to write in at talkatsteinershow.org, not using your name, or as um, tweeting the same way. Just you know, just we we will respect that. So just saying that out there. So so let's get into so why <laughs> to say there's a culture of rape mm-hmm. is what we're saying. Is what you all are saying. What many people are saying. Right. So what is, what does that mean? In its depth, what does that mean in its definition, in its history? What do we mean by a culture of rape? What does that mean? 
I would venture to say, and everybody, please weigh in. (laughs) You know, I would venture to say when we think about culture, we have to first understand what we mean when we're talking about culture. Culture is our standards and our practices, our value systems, our ideologies, our beliefs, and that this conversation around rape and sexual violence permeates all of those things. It permeates our ideologies and our value systems. It permeates our criminal justice system. It permeates our healthcare system. This is our culture. And when we have a culture that says we're going to misrecognize bodily violation um, in every single space, you know, in our value systems, in our ideologies, in our economic systems, in our healthcare systems. That's what we mean when we're talking about a rape culture. We perpetuate it ongoing through many different layers. Ms. Ray, you want to add that before you open the phones here? Yeah. And so when you're talking about culture and talking about the practices and values of a society, I think, um, and you mentioned physical, but it's also, it's not just physical, mm-hmm. right? It's how women are told, to, women and girls are told to modify their behavior so and it's not to tempt and boys. And gender non-confirming and right, trans folks. Right, Taught to, but I'm, but I'm talking specifically what I was about to get to was like, I'm thinking about what happens in the public schools and, and the uniforms and girls, mm-hmm. and, and normally they're girls, taught that they can't wear certain clothing because they may be tempting the boys in the classroom. And we've heard this in many cities around the nation where girls have been set home because their collarbones are showing. And they say that that's too distracting and tempting for the boys in the class. They can't concentrate. So mm-hmm. that sort of behavior modification that girls and women are um, urged to to do, that that circles back to the values because it's it's more than suggest. It says that women and girls are responsible for their assault or the improper touching or all of that, and that it's not instead of telling boys and men that they need to adjust their behavior, that they need to not rape. We teach girls and women not to be raped. So there's this, the onus is on girls and women to to not make themselves a victim. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a part of part of our rape culture. Catcalling, street harassment, all of those sorts of things are part of it. And so, again, I, I think that rape culture may be, that, that that terminology just might be kind of, kind of clunky and maybe difficult for some people to wrap their heads around to right. encompass all of these things because they just think rape. But what rape culture is, is it sets the stage for sexual assault and violence against women to be normalized. Right. Collective minimization, like collectively right. minimizing sexual violence in our lives and in our families and our family histories. Well, it could part of it, then we're going to open the phones here. Helen, you're the first call up. We're going to come right to you right here um, before we get too deep into the program. But I mean, I think that and there'll be many more chances to talk about this over the coming months. Um, but maybe part of it has to do with that the whole idea, the whole concept of, e- of gender equality mm-hmm. right, between men and women mm-hmm. is relatively new in this world. Right, I mean, there have been some traditional societies where there've been people more equal, but even I mean that all that's true. But I'm thinking as a whole, mm-hmm. that, that 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 most societies are male dominated, or patriarchal, uh, where you can have more than one wife and have other people outside, and nothing doesn't make any difference, mm-hmm. um, and that women are there to satisfy men's needs, 
mm-hmm. even though you read some biblical things and it's very complex with a woman has to be as satisfied as a man. All that stuff's in the Bible too, by the way. And then the, the Holy well, we Laws. We pick and choose, right? We pick and choose, right? <laughs> <laughs> we do pick and choose. But, um, but having said that, 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 and here we are now in a world where women, where that line has been crossed and smashed in many ways. That, that, that idea mm-hmm. uh, of equality is here, but that what fueled our society was something very different. And that to me is where the why I think we're having this explosive thing right now mm-hmm. is the rising consciousness, but that doesn't affect the world. Right. Now, am I being clear? Am I just, I didn't mean to be too obtuse here. No, mm. no. I think you're being clear, but women and queer people and LGBT folks have been working on illuminating the conversation of sexual violence and what it means and how it's permeated society for a very long time. I think that it's interesting. I think a lot of our awareness of it is the inundation of so many different stories. We're inundated with so many different kinds of stories now than what we used to have that people are like oh there's suddenly this new phenomenon and people are suddenly working on it but people have been working to illuminate these issues for well over 40 years oh no no, no exactly no 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 yeah, yeah no no yeah. I, I remember oh, completely yeah. I, I, no, no, and i think that's real i think but i think that what that's why we are right now we're dealing with this culture of rape desiree and here i'm gonna open the phones is it is that we're is that we have, it's being pushed to the point now where we're f- forcing a confrontation over things that have been ignored Right. That people don't want to address. Right. We're talking about it more now than we used to. Right. Right. Let me open the phones and come back to this. At 410-319-8888. Helen, you're on the air. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Helen. I might get in trouble for saying this. What's that? No? However, I think that there's an appetite for aggression from men. There's an appetite for different types of role plays, if you will, and that nobody seems to be addressing the fact that this may be something a woman wants, this may be something a man desires to give, and if he doesn't give it, then he is looked at as a weakling. We got one billion women strong against sexual violence. All over the world, men assume that it's their right to have a woman any kind of way he wants without, I mean, with impunity, with no consequence from young women, little girls, to big adult women, that a man thinks that we are property, that we have no voice in the decisions that he intends to make in our behalf. And it just worries me. There are women who desire or have an appetite for an aggressive man, and then it's an encouragement for men to be even more Hmm. aggressive. I think that there is an appetite for submissive, submissive women, for men that are submissive themselves. I don't think that we are really talking about sometimes about how we exercise our appetite for sex and that there is some box that we have to fit into in order to be accepted. And when the reality is, is what grown people do in the privacy of their own home, in the privacy of their bedrooms where the door is closed, I don't think that 
too many of us have the right to step in and exercise our opinion about right. them. Uh, th- right. th- you, you, Helen, you, you raised a, a plethora of complex things here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Most definitely. I think I don't think anyone in this room would ever think that there should be that conversations about people's sexual sexual proclivities, people's sexual desires are things that need to be, be pathologized or regulated or regulated ever yeah. <laughs> like I would never come from that particular stance I think this is a conversation though I think you're very real that we need to have an actual conversation about sexuality and what it is and what it means and that there's a difference between sexuality and sexual desire and non-consenting sexual violation that these right. are different animals and she's all, she also raised the point about toxic masculinity that's, that's where she yes. began right and that's not the same thing as Right, as that's not the same appet- thing as right. sexual appetites. That's no, not the thing as sexual mores. That's not the same thing right. as a healthy, diverse sexual practice. And I think she also just talks to the complexity of where it is. I think that's right. part of why there's so much pushback on rape culture notion mm-hmm. is because it is complex and people really don't know how to wrestle with this. Right. right. And I think it may be, and I think what she's also alluding to is it may be confusing for people. And I, mm-hmm. I, I think this is what, what she was saying. It may be confusing for some people who want to be more submissive or dominant in the bedroom with their consenting partner. Mm-hmm. That, that may be confusing if we're talking about aggression right. and dominance for someone who who sexually assaults. Right. It's not, it's not the same thing, but and, it can be confusing. And there's a difference between exactly. consenting. Exactly. exactly. Right. Consent. Consent, right. the big one, right? This mutual understanding that there's sexuality, there's a role that is being played, there are rules mm-hmm. and around how it's going to right. work out. Right. And what we're talking about is these things happening without consent. And it's extremely important, especially as it relates to young people and children, to educate young people early about sexual desire and sexuality in general right. so that folks have a healthy understanding of what they should and can and cannot do or should not do with their bodies right. and when and with whom. And Kalima and I were talking about this a little bit in the green one room where we talked about yeah. that um, <clears throat> we need to teach girls and boys. We need we need to teach, but but I think particularly girls that there's a if you enjoy sex, it does not mean you're a slut, right? And if you don't have sex, it does not mean that you're a prude. So there's these you know there are these right. poles. You're either a slut or you're a prude, right? And we need to talk. We need to teach the girls more about sexuality and and knowing their bodies and understanding what they desire and what they like. Um, that that's really important too, and you have to teach men exactly <laughs> the same exact <laughs> the thing. same exact thing, right. and that your sexual desires as a man, mm-hmm. w- w- whatever makes that happen for you as a man, does not mean you have the right to do things without consent and just snatching up, as people would say, a piece because you want it. Right, you know what I'm saying that 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 there's a difference between what turns you on. Mm-hmm. And what you act upon without consent, right? Th- that's mm-hmm. awesome. You know that that that's right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I also, and it's extremely important for men as well because three percent of American men experience sexual violence. One in thirty-three, and probably more than that, and more than that. And if we think about prison culture, where eighty percent of right. folks in prison have experienced sexual violence, men have experienced sexual violence. There's a conversation about bodily autonomy. That needs to be had across all spectrums. And many of those m- men had sexual violence up against them when they were boys. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So then we boys. have to think about the culture of saying, 
yes, you're 13 years old and you had sex, and that means that you have sexual prowess. What if that girl was 17 years but old? That, that's the toxic that's masculinity violence. part, right? Right, and right. this is the reason why maybe some maybe some men don't come forward since they were abused as children as boys because they're embarrassed, right? That means that they're weak, well, submissive. We, we have to be able. To, I mean, <clears throat> there was a piece on Facebook that we're going to talk about next week um, with a dear friend who wrote on Facebook, Quincy Gamble, who talked about his depression. A mm-hmm. man who I really respect mm-hmm. a lot. That, that as a as, to be able to come out with that and talk about that, men have to deal with their masculinity and all right. these things that we're afraid. To talk about you're no longer being a man because of mm-hmm. right. You know, let me do this. I, I want you. I wanted to. We're almost running out of time. This is too short a piece today, but to define where this conversation is going to be going, I want you to do that. Let's get a quick call in there, and then we'll do that. All right. Okay. Uh, Kadria, you're on the air. Kadria, you're on the air. Yes, All the thoughts that are you talking about the men raped in prison? All this is on my mind. If rape is a crime, then all the men who rape other men in prison need to be set to task, okay? My solution is, I said this before, in countries, in some countries, when they normal, in their normal state, not this war-torn mess that's going on all over, rape is a capital crime. In the religion of Islam, the Sharia law, the punishment for rape is public castration. Not 10 days later, not 15 years later, but when caught the next same day. That's a good solution. No man wants to live without their member, okay? You're absolutely right. I believe most of these men that dysfunctional, great boys and all that, this has been done to them as little boys. It's never been talked about. An uh, actual average man, I believe, will go to his grave before he talks about this. The women are more apt, much to come out and talk about their experience than men because it's, it's a shame to them as a man. So, you know, it, it all reflects on this sick, sick, sick society, which is really not the culture of black people, but a culture that we have been now baptized in where you just go and violate and do whatever you want. But like I say, the whole solution to rape, you women, you outnumber the men, catch them like they did in Sowito. Catch them, you castrate them, or you beat that. Oh, right, thank, you, thank you, Ketra. Um, I, I think that the problem with castration, which is, you know, I mean, they think it's a legitimate solution, but, but that, that doesn't stop the violence. Right. No, it doesn't. You can, you can chop somebody's penis off. You can chop their testicles off. But that doesn't stop them from being violent or attacking women. And right. it doesn't do anything about rape culture. Right. It doesn't do anything about rape culture. It doesn't do a thing. So talk a bit about where culture. we're going with this. Before, so we can get another okay. caller and we've been all right. Go well, ahead. we have a couple of different ways that we're going to be approaching this over the next few months. Um, we're going to be talking more about defining and expanding this notion of culture of, of rape culture. We're going to talk about rape culture and its current in, current initiatives, especially the way it's gained a lot of traction in college campuses. We're going to talk about rape narratives and understanding and recognizing what rape narratives are all about and how we can actually debunk them. We're going to talk about sexual violence in marginalized communities, how they're definitely impacting LGBTQ folks, trans folks, women who are incarcerated. We're going to queer our conversation of sexual violence in terms of talking about models of community accountability that sometimes happens in spaces where you can't necessarily trust the carceral system. And we're going to talk about how we expand the entire conversation around recognizing and understanding sexual violence to include all people are impacted, which means every person on this planet, regardless of their sexuality, race, gender, creed, capital. And all of the other Do you things. Want to add to that that's before we. That's really broad. I know. <laughs> that's good. No, that's good. That's important. I, um, I like us. Uh, I, I miss it if you mentioned this already, Clean, but I like us to talk about um, healthy sexuality. Yes. Yes. Right. And encouraging people to be more aware of their bodies and what what pleasures them. Right. And, and I want I think to connect important. in our conversations connecting masculinity and men to this discussion yes. and, and who we are as a gender and what we do. 
and yes. how we think and how we behave and what and what we pass on and what we do. Because you can't – it's like having a discussion about racism without white people. Right. <laughs> doesn't work. It right. doesn't work. It just don't work. <laughs> so so did we have two minutes left in this segment. Let's get that last caller in very quick. Darlene, your, your very quick final thought for the day. Real quick, I know people have trouble thinking of this as a cultural problem. From the beginning of her life, I taught my daughter she couldn't wear tight pants without a long shirt because there were people out there who didn't know how to manage it. But I was also teaching her she had to somehow take responsibility. Um, I also taught her to recognize what was around her. And as a young adult in her late 20s, early 30s, living in New York City, one day she called and she said, I can't take it anymore. Walking down the street, I see 30-foot-high photographs, advertisements of men's underwear that are very full, and I'm subjected to that, and I see women in such scanty clothes that it's like my body's on display everywhere I turn. She could feel the assault because she was trained to recognize the world around her. It's terrible. I'm sorry, we're just out of time, but that, see, that's why I want the discussion to have it happen so Darlene can call in, others can call in, say what they have to say, and we can have in-depth conversations with everyone about what just happened and what she's describing, which is exactly what we want to talk about. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. So I want to thank the two of you so much. It's, it's great. Kalima Young, Desiree Melton, it's great to have you both in the studio. Yeah, thank, thank you, Mark. for having me. Appreciate and, the opportunity. I'm looking forward to this conversation coming on the air for hour-long discussions across Absolutely. the next few months. These are really important. Awesome. Thank Thanks. you very much. Thank you. Thank you all for writing and calling in and making the show what it is. Mark Steiner's show is a production of the Center for Emerging Media. Our producer is Imani Spence. Our associate producer is Calvin Perry. Our editing and producer is Ali Post. And our engineer is Andrea Melton. Theme music is by Wal Matthews of Clean Cuts. Send me your thoughts about today's program to talk at steinershow.org. The podcast of Mark Steiner's show and share it with your friends. Please visit us on the web at steinershow.org or listen to us via your favorite podcasting app. And for your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA. 88.9 FM, The Voice of the Community. I'm Mark Steiner. Take care.